tides. It's twilight. <laughs> it's been twilight for hours now. I like it. It's not so bright all the time, cooler temperatures. Uh, it, it's low tide again, and I'm seeing yet another side of life on this planet. Uh, down below, the exposed parts of the scree pile betray signs of furtive life. Though of what, I, I can't really tell. Uh, but up here, I, I've noticed a few things flitting between me and the sky, or, or between me and the ground. Uh, possibly the crepuscular animals, the dawn and dusk shift. <laughs> Back during the twilight hours of the morning, I was in the sub, so I didn't get to see much of it. Those tree things are getting taller again, though not as tall as before. I can see flapping shapes in the distance, indistinct in the dim light. I, I wouldn't mind a flashlight or, barring that, a, a fire. It's likely that a light would draw more of these things, like moths, but I'm not entirely sure. It would require further study about how they orient and navigate, especially since Volturnus acts as a significant secondary light source. Imagine the moon, but, but taking up half the sky. It glows with a, a sickly brownish-orange light, and I, I see pools and shallow streams just stretching out over the horizon, tinged in orange. Uh, the plants here, from shrubs and weeds to lichens, are all colored very similarly to earth plants, and probably take energy from the same wavelengths. But, but, but I wouldn't be surprised to find pigments absorbing that residual heat, that, uh, the IR spectrum, from the sub-round dwarf. An interesting project for Melissa and Erickson to work with me on would be a wide-reaching study of photosynthesis and position from the tidal zone to the epipelagic. Plants at this level spend most of the day dry and may have more infrared-absorbing pigments to take advantage of Alternus, but as you get further out, high-frequency absorption would dominate for reasons of efficiency. Benthic zones, as I've seen, contain chemoautotrophs feeding off of numerous ocean vents, but there may also be a significant amount of overlap, especially when considering the frequent and cyclical change of the water depth. There could very easily be something like a like a, a Fonzian autotroph distribution spectrum. A fancy name for a hypothetical thing I just made up. But now some of the flying shapes are coming a little closer. Uh, be back in a moment. They're, they're very much shaped like birds, which isn't all that surprising to me. Unlike the water, the air is a pretty unforgiving medium. Only a few very specific shapes will allow something heavier than air to leave the ground. Uh, that said, the lower gravity, a little bit more than half of Earth's, allows them to be pretty big. These have maybe a 10 to 12 foot wingspan, frankly not that far off from the largest species of terrestrial birds. My best description for now is a, a, a black or darkish thing shaped a little like a pterodactyl, uh, similar to the older kinds of paleo art, but without the sagittal crest. Uh, their posture reminds me of vultures as well, and I'll call them birds for now. 
They have two distinct back legs, a, a third possibly vestigial tail or limb on the back, in addition to two forelimbs modified to bat-like wings. Their torsos... I don't know, there's something just wrong with them. God, I wonder what their skeletal structure looks like. Uh, they're different somehow from other Fonzie in life. Uh, perhaps it's just the two-dimensionalness of them. Everything else alive here is rounded, but they are sharp black shadows with severe membranous wings. A little scaly looking, actually. And long, straight-edged, vicious beaks. Those wings must have actual bone or, or some solid internal skeleton in them, too, which is a, a departure from the soft, water-filled invertebrates I've encountered so far, and- Oh, oh shit. One of them has landed here just now, uh, on top of the largest boulder near my position. <laughs> uh, swooped in and scared the hell out of me. I'm not sure if it even saw me. I, I've wedged myself into a crevice between the two rocks, but I, I can hear it scrambling around up there. That beak, which is poking out over the edge every few minutes, must be at least two feet long. Probably a, a third of the total body length, I'd estimate. It ends in a point like like a chisel. The, the face, or from what I've seen, is black or maybe dark brown, with, with four eyes, two above the beak and two below, which <laughs> is, a, is a nod to the rest of the planet's renal symmetry. And it is attached to quite a powerful neck. <laughs> I, I think I can guess what they've evolved to eat. Alright, uh, another one is joining it, and now another. They're, they, they're scrabbling around all over above me. It's uh, frightening, but at the same time it's refreshing, almost, to have some sort of land life around. It makes it feel less lonely. But there's more of an intrinsic feeling of threat. Birds of prey have meaning in the archaic brainstem I inherited from my small furry ancestors. Their claws, their silent shadows, their soulless eyes, it's... it's disquieting. Uh, now, now they're leaving, one after another, uh, synchronized, ungainly leaps smoothing out into perfect, looping dives down towards an outlying shell. Hopefully I'll see some feeding behavior. <laughs> it's a good thing you aren't here, Stevens. Maybe cover your ears for the description. Those beaks are awfully sharp, and the creatures inside their armor look pretty soft. Once you get through the shells... Oh... Wow. So they certainly got a few good cracks in. Now that I think of it, the shell that they attacked may have already had a few gouges, like this wasn't the first time it's been targeted. Take a whack and run away again, that, that seems to be their strategy. Run away, because as soon as the first one landed, a yellow mist started leaking out of the shell, and, and by the time the third one could bring its beak down, the mist was fairly thick and noxious looking. The flying animals started to seem uneasy, moving their heads around and, and shifting their footing. 
And then all at once, the other 14 shells on this side began to vent gas as well. And, and the three birds just took off, circled, and, and then left. Uh, the yellowish gas hangs low and it's slowly dissipating. <laughs> I'm staying the hell away from it for now. Because I suspect it to be chlorine and <laughs> my suit filters can keep it out, probably. But I, I don't want to go wading through a hydrochloric acid-filled stream if I don't have to. Now, I, I'm pretty sure the creatures in the shell have no way of seeing, and, and based on their behavior might be entirely blind even when outside of them. I, I noticed the attack shell didn't begin to release gas until the first bird thing landed, which, which supports my theory at least superficially. It, it does imply another method of sensing. But the really intriguing thing was the response from the rest of the shells. There was, there was coordination there. For, for Montague's and Melissa's benefit, I will mention that the appearance of coordination and communication is extremely common among all levels and scales of organisms on Earth. Uh, uh, for instance, plants and trees of many species increase their production of defensive toxins when attacked by herbivores. Uh, then downwind of those plants, others not being attacked will respond to the presence of a chemical signal passed on the breeze and increase production of those same toxins. Uh, sometimes they even use a network of underground fungi to pass these signals along as well. This gave birth to a lot of misleading ideas of the neural network of the forest and trees talking to each other, which are not exactly untrue, but put too much agency or intention into these functions. And yes, Stevens, I read your dissertation, and let's just say you're lucky I wasn't there for your defense. Uh, simplest explanation, Occam's razor. Uh, since they have orifices in the shells from which to vent gas, it, it's reasonable to assume that, like the trees, it's an automatic reaction to sensing the gas through the same orifices. Uh, much like the plants, there's no thought to it. It's simply an evolved, almost mechanistic response that benefits the survival of the group, even if one individual has gradually worn down and eventually lost. I, I, I also sometimes succumb to imagining conscious intention in, in random or purely impersonal events, like the weather or the stars or a, a car that won't start. For example, assuming that because someone works in proximity to you, they're your friend and they care about you, might might actually come looking for you when you're lost or in danger. But, but friendship is just an evolved mechanism to grease the wheels of necessary collaboration, and when it comes down to the wire, I think you'll find that- Wait. Wait, what is that? Uh, a bright point in the sky. It, it's coming down fast. I, I wonder... Oh, oh, it bounced. Uh, unmanned, then. That, that makes sense. But, hey, uh, a supply drop. That, that's a welcome sight, since I'm running low on nutrient bars, and... Well, more importantly than that, you guys can hear me? Hey. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, uh, almost set to go. I, I have maybe five hours of partial light left. That might be enough time to climb down, walk to the drop, look it over, drag it back, and then maybe climb back up as well. 
Uh, it depends on the mass of stuff I need to or, or even want to bring back. Honestly, I prefer not to have to climb up in the dark, but uh, I'll make do. Uh, full dark lasts about 66 hours, uh, during which there will be another wave, though the timing has been a little unpredictable. Uh, the planet Volturnus is just starting to sink to more than half below the horizon, and if I recall correctly, moonrise and moonset are the low tide periods of Earth. Uh, before I go, I'm making sure I gather and lash down, or honestly, screw into the rock when I can, all the things I'm not bringing with me. Of course, though, I am taking my spare oxygen. It's better safe than sorry. Other than that, I, I don't have any useful tools or weapons to bring with me, just my human reflexes and ingenuity. Okay, time to fall. I, not fall, I mean climb. Climb down. See you at the bottom. Alright, uh, walking past some of the first giant shells. You know, uh, another theory about those shellfish, more of a stretch, but honestly supported by how they responded to the birds, is a different, faster form of communication. There, there isn't an order to the group response where each animal vented independently, starting with the closest as the gas diffused outwards. I instead, there was a distinct pause, as if waiting for a threshold to be passed, then all at once a coordinated counterattack. I mentioned before that a decent number of the shells are quite close to one another, nearly overlapping at times. Between some of them, there are thick, branching connections, tendrils climbing over rock or half buried in sand. They're made of the same material as the shells themselves, so there might be a more direct way, the modality of which I can't be sure of. Uh, chemical, synaptic, auditory... Uh-huh. A, a pause to think, then a group response. Group? Community thinking? <laughs> but that's, that's taking it a step too far. Uh, humans have a tendency, me included, to assign intelligence to unintelligent behavior. Parrots don't mean the words that they say in the same way that we do. They, they copy and repeat. They learn how to elicit a certain response from humans. Uh, an octopus can open a jar, but as far as we can tell, they can't question the existence of the jar, realize that jars don't exist in nature, that, that another mind beyond its own must have created it. And, and on the other hand, I, I might be looking at this all backwards, and my own consciousness is just an illusion. I, I don't really know. I don't know if I can know. I, I do know that I'm regressing to college freshman levels of philosophy, so I'm gonna stop there. Blame my fucked up nightmare of a circadian rhythm. Okay, right now I I'm walking through rows of shells near the stream that kind of loom over me like mausoleums. I, I think I feel more of those tiny tremors too. The brushing the sand aside on the ground, I, I found more of those tendrils underneath. They, they hum to the touch, but why the hum? If I knock on one, <coughs> whoa, <coughs> it spray me with that mist. <coughs> my filters are enough to keep it out, but ugh, my nose itches. That's worrisome. Ugh. Uh, the, the gas comes out of a hole on the side. I, I see it now. Uh, a very, a very small, neat, circular opening. I, I feel like that was 
a warning shot, maybe? Uh, the rest didn't respond at all, which is leading me to think that the stimulus required for a group response is more specific. Alright, now, now the walking is much easier. I, I'm past the shells and following the top of a low ridge down to the drop site. Alright, made good time. Plenty of time to get back if I don't hang around, actually. Thank you for the note. I'm glad you all can hear me, even if I'm just babbling most of the time. Melissa, I'm, I'm not sure why your personal note needed to be so confrontational, but I, I promise not to make too many physics assumptions from now on. Uh, Montague, thank you for the scrawl that I assume was your name added onto the note as an afterthought. I look forward to figuring out just how to get these new rations from outside my suit to inside my suit, but listen, I do appreciate that there are at least a few new varieties, like oatmeal raisin and chocolate chip, which... <sighs> Come on, guys. You gotta be fucking with me. If I, if I take a bite into a raisin thinking it's a chocolate chip, I might just take my helmet off and stand in front of a wave, just purely out of spite. I, I received the portable seismometer, the spare batteries, the oxygen canisters, the first aid kit, the suit repair kit, and the spare parts for my desalination system undamaged. They're pretty heavy altogether, and I would have appreciated some sort of sled, maybe? So I'm wrapping the stuff in a parachute and about to drag it all back. Fun times. I I'm thinking of leaving most of it in a cache somewhere near the base of the rocks. I would leave it here, but there's no way it would stay in the same place, and there's nothing solid to wedge it under. <sighs> Sun's pretty low. Uh, Volturnus is a sliver on the horizon, like an enormous orangish-brownish extra bonus sunset. There's enough light to see by uh, on the sunlit side of the small ridge. Long, sharp shadows of birds starting to head towards land. <sighs> I'm heading back to home base as well. It's getting darker now. I'm, I'm back by the rocks. My, my helmet light throws the texture of the shells and the weird sculpted shape of the cliffs into sharp relief. I, I'm trying to conserve my battery, of course, but the, the climbing part would be difficult without it. And I, I've got some spares. I, I guess I have rope now uh, from the parachute cords, but I got up there last time without it. I, I can hear things moving around out there in the growing dark. In the beam of my light, I saw a few worms like the ones I've seen before, but bigger and whitish and beige hues. They're taking advantage of the dark and the low tide to move around on the surface, making these long, winding trails from pool to pool. Uh, not much time to observe this subset of the ecosystem, since I only have a couple of hours or so until full dark. And, man, I'm tired. Alright, here's the first ludge. Ah! Ah! Fuck! Ah! Oh, fuck! Ah! Jesus fucking Christ! Ah! Ah! My ankle! Okay. Okay. Oh, shit. Oh, it's the same one the fucking crab got you. Why does this always fucking happen? It's like stunning the same fucking toe over and over again. Jesus! Ah! I... I regret to inform any listeners that I, ugh, I, I fell, I slipped and fell. Man, ugh, it couldn't have been more than eight feet. Seriously, god damn it! Now I am just, I'm just lying on my back, 
trying to trying to figure out how I think my ankle is uh, probably sprained, if that. We'll, we'll see when I'm able to put my full weight on it. I also whacked my head pretty good, but the helmet helped. Let's try sitting up. Whew. Okay, really dizzy, dizzy. I have got those whole body tingles there. Damn, how long was I lying there? The suit clock says maybe 20 minutes, but that's that's still too long. Now, try standing up. Okay. okay. Ah! Ah! Well, shit. So I can't put my weight on it. Not much to use as a crutch out here, though. I, I might be able to wrap it. So what I'm doing now is I, I'm pulling my arms into the suit and trying to remove my undershirt, which of course is not working. Never mind, that was shit, that was stupid. Okay. Uh, instead I'm going to try and wrap it from outside of the suit, trying to make the boot as tight as possible with the adjustable straps. I do have a first aid kit, but no fucking ice, obviously. Enough bandage to stabilize the ankle, at least, and elevation would be nice, but not currently a fucking option. I sprained my ankle the same fucking ankle, of course, when I was a kid. Trying to remember the Ottawa rules the doctor told me at the time, but not being able to support the weight is a bad thing. I'm praying it's not a fracture, just just a sprain. I, I can't get my hand in there to touch it, but it, it doesn't feel like there are any loose parts. How the fuck am I going to climb back up there? Maybe if I... Ow! Ah! Nope! Nope! Fuck! No. Bitch. Tides was written by Jesse Shushu and directed by Jesse Shushu and Ayla Taylor. It was produced by Ayla Taylor and edited by Bridge Gein. The voice of Dr. Uris is Julia Shafini. Special thanks to Sarah Durst for designing our cover art. You can find us online at our website, tidespodcast.com, and follow us on Tumblr and Twitter at Tides Podcast. If you like our show and would like to help us keep making it, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash tidespodcast. Thank you so much for listening. And now, an ocean fact. This is Dr. Winifred Uris, and this is Ocean Facts. Ocean fact number three. The ocean contains a multitude of plant and animal life. And also your car keys. You know what you did, Deborah. <laughs>